0: Pod,
1: pod. Hello again, Pod Pod fans. We're back for yet another episode telling you all about the latest trends in the world of podcasting. We're going to be talking to another expert. This week, it's Tamara Zabati, who is the CEO of Barometer. I was a little bit anxious going into this chat because I thought it was going to be very like inside of baseball, but actually, Tamara was such. A brilliant interview because she really laid it out in layman's terms. And I feel like I really got to know another sphere in the podcasting world. So do hang on for that. But before we get to Tamara, let's talk to Adam Shepard and Reem Makari, who are both, I would say, exhausted at the end of a very busy award season with just a couple more to go. How are you both? How are the energy levels?
0: Tired.
1: <laughs> Surviving. Good, good. So for me, in the film world, award season is just sort of just starting to gear up. All of the big films are coming out. Um, we have the big ceremonies now that the strikes are over, those are all going ahead as planned in the new year. But for you guys, it's very much the tail end of the award season. So what's going on today?
0: Well, by the time you hear this, I will be on my way to the airport to catch my flight to Dublin for this year's Irish Podcast Awards.
1: woo That's exciting. Are they going to be serving a lot of IPA at the IPA Awards? Or was that just fantasy?
0: <laughs> I... I would imagine there'll probably be more than a little IPA uh, knocking around. So. I would imagine there will be a lot of gifts. <laughs> so the Irish Podcast Awards is now in its second year. Podpod uh, Pod is proudly supporting the Irish Podcast Awards and I will be there to do a little bit of light hosting uh, on the night and to... Uh, celebrate with all of the deserving winners <laughs>
1: Remy you off to the IPAs or are you very much enjoying them from home I will be
2: enjoying them from home. I'm not going to be uh, on a flight. But I will be attending the Audio Production Awards this week, which is on Wednesday. Wednesday. Um, so I'll be, I'll be going to the Audio Production Awards. And that, I think, will be the last event of the season, apart from all of the Christmas networking events that are likely to happen in December. And I'm really excited for it because it's a mix of of big people, but also independents. And there is a like a mixer that's taking place just before the event uh, from the uh, entry level audio network. And it's for up and coming podcasters in the industry to get to meet other industry experts or people who are in the same position as they are. So really great networking space. So. I'm very very excited for that one.
1: That's cool. Mixes always just make me think of something like Legally Blonde. It's a feel, It sounds like a very American <laughs> university <laughs> type of thing, um, but actually sounds like it could be incredibly useful in this scenario. Yeah, I think so.
2: I mean, it's good. It's always good to make connections and just you know have conversations with other podcasters because you usually majority of them are very introverted so getting to actually see them in the flesh
1: is always really fun um so adam is there anything we should be keeping an eye out in terms of the irish podcast awards who should we be
0: listening to do we know any of these podcasters have we had them on we do as it happens so we've got the cinemile who we interviewed way back in uh pod pod's early days comparatively early days (laughs) who are up for best arts and culture, uh, alongside such luminaries as Talking Derry Girls. Uh, And we've also got uh, This Paranormal Life, who are up for best comedy, best entertainment, and I believe best fiction. Yes,
1: and the Cinemile, I think, are actually also in best entertainment. So they're going head to head with This Paranormal Life. Ah. Which will be fun, fun to see where that goes.
0: Yeah, that should be one to watch. (laughs) Yeah. The juggernaut that is My Therapist Ghosted Me is also up for several awards, uh, as you would possibly expect. They are up for Best Entertainment, Best Comedy, and the Spotlight Award. Uh, They picked up Podcast Champion at this year's British Podcast Awards, so it'll be uh, interesting to see whether there are a few new additions to their trophy cabinet by this time tomorrow.
1: And also, we just had the Australian Podcast Awards. Um, How how many award ceremonies are there?
0: Too many. Um, The Australian Podcast Awards uh, wrapped up by the time you're hearing this, an hour or so ago, uh, and we had a number of really top tier uh, winners in uh, in that particular ceremony Uh, so we had the podcast of the year crowned which this year was the lawyer the sniper and the new south wales police Uh, we also had basically besties picking up the listeners choice award and life uncut for podcast champion you can find full write-ups of all of those on the Pod Pod website.
1: So Reem, as we said, you are very much at the end of award season. I feel like you're probably best placed to let us know what kind of trends have you picked up on from, say, this year to last year in terms of award ceremonies, anything that you've noticed that has been completely different, things that have changed in the industry over the past year?
2: Yeah, so I I went to the British Podcast Awards in 2022 and i went to the one in 2023 and they're very different events in 2022 it was like an outdoor tent festival vibe and 2023 was more of a red carpet type event uh where it was a lot more fancy and a lot more you know it, it was kind of more on the same level as you would see for like a film award or any other more established medium um and i think what's nice but like my my takeaway from award season is that there's still so many different events that can cater to different types of people so you have stuff like the bitch podcast awards that are catering more towards you know the bigger companies business side as well as the independents um and then you also have the events like the international women's podcast awards the independent podcast awards that are catering to more independent creators and people who are more up and coming in the industry so i think it's it's nice that there's still a balance of both um and that it's up to the creators to decide what works best for them and what they want to apply for
1: Nice. Well, I really hope that you both enjoy the upcoming awards and congratulations to all of the winners this season, this year. Really well deserved. We all know just actually how difficult it is getting a podcast off the ground. So, congratulations. Time now to speak to Tamara Zabati, CEO of Barometer. So, here she is chatting to me and Reem. <laughs> tomorrow thank you so much for joining us on pod pod it's so lovely to have you on thank you so much for having me i want to start with talking about barometer And for podcasters who might not be overly familiar with different technologies in the ad world, what does Barometer do?
3: Great question. So Barometer is a brand suitability and contextual targeting solution for user-generated content. And podcasting is our kind of beachhead. It's our first market. Um, And so basically what Barometer is, is a machine that listens to all the podcast episodes and analyzes them for things that advertisers might be keen on understanding for example, adult content, or like the use of profanity, or the presence or absence of hate speech, or discussions about potentially sensitive topics like political issues or crime. Um, And in addition to all of those kind of, one could say negative contexts, we also measure for more granular kind of positive contexts. So we have like genres, for example, like society and culture, but what do those actually mean? Um, And so we add a little bit more granularity at the episode level and at the show level so that it's easier for advertisers to discover, plan um, and target podcasts. Ultimately, our goal is to raise the amount of spend that's going into the podcast space. So supporting more creators. And we have a lofty goal of 10xing the, the spend rather than just doubling it as it's currently. Productive.
1: That is lofty. I love it. Um, <laughs> so when you, you, you first co-founded Barometer, um, what about five, five years ago? Yeah. Was Was brand safety a big concern for advertisers then as much as it is now in podcasting?
3: Um, So brand safety was born around the time that Barometer was born, but in a different silo. The term was coined in the context of a L'Oreal ad running on an ISIS video on YouTube. Um, And so brand safety refers to content that should not be monetized by anybody for any circumstances, And it includes terrible, despicable content that I think we can all agree on as a society. Like, it's hard for us all to agree on things. But uh, like, it's like child pornography, actual first person terrorism videos, like things like that, that really advertisers should definitely not be monetizing. Um, And and then along with that came kind of the space of brand suitability, where it was like, well, the thing happened and then it was covered on a news source. And what we started to see was 2018 was two years after Trump was elected in the States. And my generation in particular had kind of like a very negative reaction to the news and to the media afterwards and kind of shut it off. And at the time, Barometer was direct to consumer. So we sought to give people some like nutrition labels about how the information that they were about to consume was going to affect their minds. And we came at this from like, I'm a machine learning engineer by training and I studied cognitive science in undergrad and so did my co-founder. We're also vegans, So we kind of like, like we're, we're very careful about what we put <laughs> into our body, right. but we it consume content with our mind and it mm. will permanently affect how we experience everything else in the future. And so we felt like that was kind of a problem and that people needed a, an additional lens. And at the time, what we were measuring for wasn't quite like, what is the, GARM brand safety and suitability standards, which is what we measure to today. But at the time, it was more thinking about in the context of news information, what are the features that people care about? And it was like colloquialism, editorial bias, sensationalism. And so we were rejecting the notion that like one provider is good and one provider is bad, but rather embracing kind of article by article volatility and helping people kind of get a grip on the overwhelming amount of information that was coming at them. So Even though it wasn't like directly brand safety the way that we define it today, uh, I feel like it was kind of in that same vein.
2: What do you think are the biggest concerns that advertisers are looking for when it comes to brand safety? What are they trying to avoid?
3: I feel like there's almost two kind of worlds. There's like the brand safety world and the brand suitability world. Brand safety, one could even argue, is part of the responsibility of the platforms like Spotify to not even platform content that is below that floor of content that shouldn't be monetized. But in the brand suitability space, the space of all content is very vast. And what's appropriate for one brand isn't necessarily appropriate for another. So it really varies brand by brand, which is why it's hard to be like, this set of content is brand safe or brand suitable and this set of content is not. It it can be as simple as like for one brand, they can't run on true crime and another one can. Where we come in is we kind of push the brands a little bit more. And we're like, well, you say you can't run on true crime, but what is it really that's concerning to you? Is it the adult crimes? Is it the really, really gory descriptions? And so that's kind of where we come in with some of the nuance. But other examples of things that advertisers could be avoiding are like political discussions Um, sometimes. And the legacy of this technology is like keyword block lists. In other channels, oftentimes advertisers have these rigorously curated lists of terms that they seek to avoid being aligned next to. And that is all fine in the context of like display and search terms and search optimization. But in podcasts, we can't like do that same thing because words have different meanings. And barometer is not a keyword based solution. So we actually look at the context of the discussions and the tone of how those discussions are set. For those reasons, we're able to give advertisers a little bit more of a granular interpretation of the things that they might be concerned about so that ultimately they can make an informed decision.
1: How can AI figure out tone? The way that something's said. That's that's something I can't get my head around.
3: You know, we're the beneficiaries of decades of research and even in like the last 5 years the scale of what we've been able to do is just so vastly different. We are every day can interact with these amazing new technologies like when you use Grammarly it can give you the little emojis of what you're saying or how it comes off to other people. And I think it kind of uses a rather similar approach. And what's cool about tone is it's more than sentiment. Um, Sentiment is nice, but positive, negative, neutral don't tell you if something is glamorizing or dramatic or informative, right? You really need a little bit more detail. And so, for example, we're able to look at like true crime and understand, is the crime being talked about in a glamorizing way? Like, are they making light of it? Or is it being talked about in like an appropriately dramatic, like negative way, uh, with a lot of anger and shock? Or is it being talked about in like a very cold case, like informative way that one could even use to solve a crime in in the real world? So that was kind of our goal going into this, partially inspired by our background in news and seeing that advertisers would just say no news. People, and honestly, this is just. This is a terrible practice, but we see it time and time again. And even in the latest, we were just at Brand Safety Week. Uh, it's like a summit of all of the platforms showing off their latest brand suitability and safety controls. And a certain large search monopoly said that in their new user protections, you can be very nuanced and you could block entire categories. And then in the in the screenshot, it has like news with a check mark. Like oh wow! Entire category. And it's like that's such a disservice to our society because then we don't have ad-supported news and then people who really need to see the news aren't going to go pay for it. And so that we thought that was really interesting considering that on the same stage, two hours later, MasterCard was speaking about how they work with Dentsu to make sure that they treat news contextually on a campaign-by-campaign basis rather than as a whole category. And so I feel like Because of the perception of the risk and the lack of nuanced enough technology to handle it, the platforms are kind of like stepping back, while at the same time we have this wave of purpose-driven brands seeking to sponsor the messaging that they want to see out there in the world. The other bubble that's been hurt by brand safety the most and brand suitability technologies is diverse creators, racially diverse, gender bias, uh, sexual orientation bias, like we work with a drag network and... People think that their content's adult. I mean, like sometimes it is, just like sometimes most podcasts have an adult episode, but most of the time they're talking about random like culture and like society, like what's going on in the world, what movies they saw last weekend. And then another case is, of course, racial diversity. Like, of course, keyword based technologies have a legacy of failing, like the black community, for example. But what's even more interesting is that there's a lot of claims that are made about ads supporting Black creators and Black-owned media with ad dollars that are often unsubstantiated. And so by the time this comes out, we will have launched our uh, Barometer Inclusive Audio Coalition, where we're actually working with uh, Black media owners and Black creators to, first of all, like work together to show them how does brand safety suitability technology work, so that creators don't feel like they're just like a subject of this technology, but rather they are co-creating the kind of future of definitions and standards that will be applied to their community and the norms of that community. But then also we have a cool pixel tracking technology that we can use to actually track the dollars going to diverse creators and even media owners. So we'll be able to have like verified segments of Black-owned media and Black voices, which frankly, I know it's kind of a controversial topic and y'all are on the other side of the pond where there's some recent European regulation that actually prevent you from tabulating things like racial data. But one could argue that if used correctly, it it can be a way to overcome erasure and really contribute that necessary data.
2: There was a study by Sounder and Urban One that talked about demonetization for Black creators and how keyword-based brand suitability tools are not as effective as using AI because of because they're not taking in the context. How can there be more awareness for podcast platforms to be shifting their brand suitability and safety tools to something that's more AI and context-based than keywords, so that they could avoid this type of demonetization?
3: Yeah, I think it's a it's a slow and evolving process of making change from the inside. I mean, we work with like SiriusXM and Wondery and some of the largest podcast players in the world, right? So it's like, I feel like they're taking the right steps to put their money where their mouth is. And I also feel like advertisers have been requesting more and more that this type of non-keyword-based technology take over because I think it really benefits the whole ecosystem. I think publishers are tired of their content being arbitrarily excluded without really solid data. And advertisers, they actually want to support diverse content. And sometimes they just don't have enough visibility into how their brand suitability decisions are going to impact what inventory they're excluding. I think that it's great that research is done that talks about this problem. But I also think that it's like, it's kind of a moot point, like, duh. Uh, But it's also from my perspective, what's interesting is, well, okay, now that we like know this, what can we actually do? And I think part of it is the results to those types of studies tend to be fear in the community rather than actionable. Like, here's how you get involved. And so what we're proposing is come get involved. We'll give you data on your content that you can bring directly to advertisers. And then we'll work together on research that showcases the suitability of your content, as well as like the important norms work. Like there's a lot of politics involved, right? In say, passing a racial identity verified segment in the bidstream Is that even legal? Like, I don't really know. And so there's, there's still a lot of kind of questions about how to action off of these next steps in a responsible way. And so I'm really encouraged that this research is kind of top of mind in the community. And I'm excited to see kind of the impact that we would be able to make uh, with with the coalition, um, in, in the coming months,
1: can you talk a bit about your grading system? Because you you talk about like no risk, low, medium, high. What does that mean? How can that be applied? Yeah, great question. So there's this organization.
3: It's called GARM. It's in the World Federation of Advertisers, and it stands for Global Alliance for Responsible Media. We're a member of this organization. So full disclosure of the biases of of association, but. The idea is these were the folks that after the L'Oreal had ran on the ISIS video, they came together and they were worked with the agency leadership to co-define these original definitions for brand safety. They first established the different categories. And so there's now 12 at the time there were 11 and things like adult content, profanity, guns, drugs, crime, death, like things like that. And then they, in addition to defining the brand safety floor for each of those categories, there's like what's below the brand safety floor. And then there's a brand suitability framework. And so the brand suitability framework is, it's a matrix. It's like 12 by four. The fourth one is no risk. And what they actually define is low, medium and high. And although the definitions for each category are subtly different, at a high level, high risk is glamorizing depictions of the category. Medium risk is dramatic depictions of the category. Low risk is informative depictions. One off one is political issues in which high risk is negative or partisan discussions of the issue in addition to being glamorizing. So that's kind of a weird one. And so what what's key is, first of all, depictions, not discussions. Not anything other than depictions. So the definitions were made with a very visual bias. And like the high risk for adult content still says full nudity. Uh, So for audio, it took us a moment to kind of translate the definitions. And so all we did was substitute the word depictions for the word discussions, and then kind of abstract some of the more detail to like adult subject matter, or like adult sexual explicit discussions, like things like that. And then the other part is global. They're really like Western-centered especially like even, I would say, US-centered. When we started doing some content analysis in the UK, we had to enlist some local people to help us understand what the local language is like and dialects and things like that. And all of that is getting a lot easier with AI translation, where you can translate in the local dialects, and that's like easier. But the way that we kind of took those definitions and operationalized them were we kind of broke it down into a couple steps. First, we needed to understand, is the category being talked about? And at that point, it's very broad and it's using just topic uh, modeling and even sometimes keywords for like profanity, just in that first level to be like, is this potentially something that we need to look deeper into? Second step is contextual, which basically just means we're looking for some kind of either positive or negative indicator that this is in fact the thing that we think it is. So a good example of this is like shooting. You could say you're shooting a movie, say you're shooting a basketball. And so at the beginning, we wouldn't know which shooting it was. But at the second step, we would know like, oh, no, 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 this is a crime or no, this isn't a crime. This is this is just a movie. And then the final step is tone. So this is really interesting because we could have verified that you're talking about shooting a gun in true crime or it could be in the news or it could be in some totally other fictional context, you know, like we don't know yet. And so that tone really helps us understand How is it being said? And that's really like even when you're talking about the exact same crime on the news versus in a narrative, you can really feel that difference and quantify it with the tone. We're continuing to work in like what additional contextual variables we could bring in. So, for example, if we had like this is a black creator, we could be able to apply like a specific approach, like a a slightly different rule set so that if they said a certain word, it might be considered appropriate, whereas another creator said that word, it might not be considered appropriate. And like I mentioned, Barometer started in podcasts, but we're now also in, uh, like we can analyze TikTok videos and Instagram Reels uh, and YouTube videos. And part of that is merging the audio context with the visual context and treating the video as kind of contextual signals. So like when we hear something, we don't just like hear it and see something else in a vacuum at different times. We're like, Doing it all together. So that's that's kind of what our approach uh, is founded on.
2: Just because you mentioned the global aspect and AI translations, at the moment, does Barometer mm-hmm. also yeah. detect podcasts in other languages or is it just in English?
3: So right now we're in beta in Spanish, French, German, Arabic, a couple other languages. Um, and I do say in beta because we don't, we have a lot of languages represented on our team, but not all of those. But we seek to follow the Grammarly model of hiring basically local computational linguists to help us refine some of the alignment required at the lower levels in different languages and in different communities. The reason that we've prioritized the languages that we have to date is because our our publisher partners and our advertiser partners have deep knowledge in those markets and a desire to buy in those markets. We just started in Arabic, and it's like a really interesting time to be looking into that right now. That's been a really interesting learning process.
2: I mean, I'm I'm Arab and there's like, you know, 10 different dialects in Arabic. Exactly. And so each, each different country is going to be saying something different and it could be the yeah. same words, just said different ways.
3: Yeah. And I didn't know this. In Saudi Arabia, they have some of the highest percentage of podcast listenership of any population. And they have a lot of local podcasts uh, where it's like they're not listening to how I built this. They're like listening to cool local content, but it can be quite hard for a Western advertiser who is global to understand like the norms of different cultures and communities.
1: One of the things I was just think that just kind of came up was it- when you're watching something on TV or if you're t- watching the news or anything and um, the hosts are quoting somebody else, there are going to be like very obvious yeah. markers as to it being a quote. Not necessarily in audio. So, how does that work? And in terms of them giving their opinion versus conspiracy or quoting something really extreme that they then want to analyze, how is all of that determined? Good
3: question. The quotes thing has been something that we've had to have a POV on since analyzing news. The example I'll give is like all news providers from all sides directly quoting Trump. And what we found was it's an editorial decision uh, to include a direct quote. And if your direct quote is inflammatory, and your direct quote is sensational, biased, hateful, whatever it may be, it's your choice as the platform to platform that comment again. The way the barometer treats it is if you said it, you are responsible for platforming that content, even if you're directly quoting somebody else. And though we might not accuse you of perpetuating like a conspiracy theory or like misinformation, we would still flag the presence of that narrative in your content. Words have a lot of power and it's really important to be diligent with your word. We were really passionate about like non-censorship. I'm from Eastern Europe. Like I, I know about the horrors of censorship uh, and I really deeply value freedom of speech, but I also understand that freedom of speech is actually like rigorously defined and regulated. And I've been encouraged in podcasts by some of the editorial decisions that people make. You could bring on a controversial ge- guest. For example, uh, we could think about when Kanye did his like infamous podcast tour. And he went on like Lex Friedman. That was really shocking for a lot of advertisers. Our policy is just to try to handle it as a part of the content um, and to use the, the methods that we have to understand and kind of contextualize that, yes, this is like being discussed. This isn't necessarily the point of view of the author, but it's still there in the discussion.
2: With the with the model that you use with using AI, do you find that there are any weaknesses with it? And how do you combat them if you did come across any weaknesses?
3: I think one of the advantages of owning your own uh, technology from the ground up is we own our data. And so we know what's in our data. Like we know what the distribution is of content that has different properties so that if we feel like our models don't have enough representation of one thing or another, we can add additional data so that the data set is balanced. It's just a continuous process of, Testing. Another thing that we do to evolve our representations is we track the discussions in media over time to automatically update our trending topics and continue to evolve as as language is evolving. Um, one other kind of call out here, there's this notion of like code words, like the word unalived. That's become something that's recently been on our radar. Like TikTok blocks
1: mentions of death. Oh, I'm too old for that.
3: <laughs> yeah. So this is like this is really interesting. But like Gen Z, the kids are smart. Like they they do all sorts of really interesting stuff to get under the radar of these detectors that they know are now kind of the, the status quo. So I think that's also been a really interesting phenomenon that we've been seeing is like self-censorship and self-disguise of how you present what you're tr- actually trying to say that continues to pose lots of fun challenges for for content moderators and brand safety technology alike.
1: Bear with me here for this particular example. Um, yeah. so recently on a reality show here in the UK, a contestant was incredibly popular, but, but did end up getting voted out, but she was still received really well. And then all of these tweets were kind of unearthed from over 10 years ago, which were like really discriminatory, really horrible stuff that you know, she'd written yeah. a long time ago. And ITV, the, the TV channel, were like, this wasn't supposed to happen. You know, we we have these independent verifiers set up so that they are supposed to kind of sift through this. So they were sort of passing the blame onto this company that they had employed yeah. to do this exact job. So it just kind of got wow. me thinking about accountability and where does that buck stop with you? So for you guys with Barometer, is it is it you is it the advertiser like how many levels are there who regulates all of this
3: good good question so it's a self-regulated industry GARM is a working group of the world federation of advertisers for example so it's not like a government body it, it really is just advertising community trying to do right by the world by society um so we like to say the barometer is an insurance company and that our brand is like a bank we have to be impartial we're a common carrier. Um, that those are kind of our perspectives. Um, and so I think that it, it's ultimately our responsibility. And, and that's why we don't take it very lightly. Uh, we understand that no methodology is 100% perfect. And that's why currently, like, our technology is mostly used by teams of skilled, talented, experienced humans. Uh, it's not designed to replace humans. Uh, the, what people were doing before Barometer was listening to episodes of podcasts on their time, on their fast fair time, to try to evaluate whether a given show could be perfect for a given campaign by listening to maybe two minutes of two episodes, and so we felt like that wasn't ideal either. Um, but use automation, but don't use it just blindly. But ultimately, we we take very strong responsibility, and like we understand that ultimately it's our job to protect. In this case, both the advertiser and the publisher. One of the things that varies is like how far back uh, advertisers care about going. Or what their policies are about like forgiveness or changes over time. And so we worked with an, an advertiser recently and we had to analyze a network of thousands of creators to understand if any of them had ever been associated with a laundry list of different crimes. And I say the word associated, not convicted. And so it was like anything, anything that could be remotely considered related. And we found like 13 out of thousands. It, it's a lot of responsibility because these brands are worth so much and brand trust is so hard to build and so easy to lose. And one one other thing is we we hire very serious people. I would say the defining adjective to describe the Barometer team is serious. <laughs> uh, our principal AI engineer before she joined Barometer was at the FDA predicting when pacemakers were going to fail and live humans. Oh, my God. And before that, she was at NASA. So, like, oh, uh, <laughs> we,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a really interesting shift and a really interesting jump. Are you seeing more of that? Like, is podcasting as a medium and ad- advertising space and podcasting being taken more seriously now than before? I-
3: Yeah, I would definitely say so. I think even in just the last year, we've witnessed a huge transformation in how brands think about the podcast Mm -hmm. opportunity. Mm -hmm. If you look at prime time viewership numbers on major linear TV channels and compare them to the top podcast, there's no comparison. (laughs) Um, Our generation is tuning in more and more to news, long form spoken word that's not paid for and bought. But like to just get into the numbers a little bit, Mm -hmm. this year was the first time that brand spend surpassed performance marketers spend in podcast. What does that mean? So historically, podcast has been kind of made by performance marketers and performance marketers are very savvy and shrewd marketers seeking to get the lowest cost for new acquisitions. So all of their metrics are what we call bottom of funnel. They're really interested in that conversion step. And podcast has been a really great medium from that perspective because it provides kind of that personal endorsement that can help get people over the line. What national brand advertisers want, conversely, is brand awareness, brand consideration, those top of funnel metrics. What you could think of as kind of like that subliminal messaging that gets you kind of aware that that brand exists so that when it's time to consider what you're going to do, that brand will come to mind. And I think what we've shown as an industry over the last year is that podcasts can allow you to reach new audiences with a level of authenticity that isn't available in other media types. And that's been really exciting for brand advertisers to really embrace. And the reality is it's kind of hard to buy podcasts because programmatic doubled over the last year, but still only about 11 percent of podcast ads are purchased via real time open exchange, which is vastly asymmetrical to other media types where it's closer to like 70 percent. Um, so that's been really interesting. And then the other thing that's been cool to watch is The main kind of thing that people cited, the industry cited, like the IAB for why more brand brands weren't investing and why programmatic wasn't taking off was the lack of adoption of brand safety and suitability technologies, which would allow buyers to scale from the current state of the art, which is buying off of a rigorously vetted inclusion list of titles, to buying in a more scalable, like you could target an audience across a run of network and maybe apply some guardrails for which inventory you can't include but at a high level, be more inclusive and open with how you're buying rather than exclusive and closed. And so over the last year, adoption of brand safety and suitability technologies at the publisher level have more than doubled, largely thanks to Barometer. And so all of those things are, from my perspective, the same story of providing that data transparency and tooling to the podcast channel to make it as mature in the eyes of the biggest brands of the world as the channels that they're used to investing in, and what digital has done is make everybody obsessed with numbers and metrics. And so, if we're the more of that parallel experience we're able to bring to podcasting, the more measurable it is for these large brand advertisers. And if you think about it, like think about a brand like P and G. P and G should be the biggest podcast advertiser. They sell tons of direct to consumer products that podcast listeners would love to buy. Um, why aren't they? Right, like that's the question that keeps us up at night. Is like, what is required for P and G to scale their podcast buys? And a big part of that story is brand safety and suitability. So, check in with us in like a year, and we'll tell you where we're at with with that initiative.
1: (laughs) If you're talking to an advertiser and they think that their product might work really well in a certain um, podcast, would it be an issue if they wanted to take it out of one particular episode? Like, there might be it might change episode to episode depending on what they're talking about. Because obviously I know true crime is broad and, you know, you might be talking about certain topics yeah. quite regularly, but not that's not necessarily the case for all genres. So how does that work? Okay.
3: So that's pretty much the vision is episodic uh, targeting and anti-targeting. Mm-hmm. The reality is that today, because of that legacy of buying based on an inclusion list, mm-hmm. folks typically approve or unapprove titles at the title level, right. not at the episode, episode. level. Yeah, okay. So most often, like it's, it's, I don't think I've ever seen somebody include an episode of a show that's otherwise excluded. Mm, mm-hmm. But I've seen it happen the other way, where if the show is included, they might want to block a specific episode. Mm. Like on Lex, they might want to block the Kanye Lex. And the reality is the technology is still catching up to that. And so today, like most publishers have the ability to target at the show level, a handful have the ability to target at the episode level our first pre-bit integration and audio hook is at the show level. Uh, but we're working on a larger integration with a much more big DSP as well. And that that would be at the episode level. And so I really think that it's coming. But my kind of warning label is once we start getting into episode level blocking, we get dangerously close to keyword block lists again. Mm-hmm. And we, we want to see if we can kind of avoid that and... I don't know is the answer because we are also seeing these like larger, more sophisticated brands that have these block lists coming into the space. In theory, it's possible. And in theory, it's, it represents a future that continues to get more granular where you're not excluding entire titles and you're not excluding entire genres, but rather you're just excluding a couple of episodes here and there. But in practice, we're not exactly sure how that's
1: actually going to play out. Does AI kind of run that risk yeah. of of making creators shape their episodes so that they are more favorable for advertisers, and that might lead to less creativity in in the kind of the same way? Arguably, the like TikTok or Instagram reels sometimes end up quite similar. I totally i I love that
3: question. Um, I think the last thing that we want to do is like flatten the medium. Um, and we like I mentioned, like censorship is the enemy mm. that we're trying to avoid and we think that what could happen as a consequence of a lack of self-regulation is imposed censorship and that's what we're seeing in like canada where if your podcast is big enough you now have to register it with the government right. and cens- self-censor we talk about this. so yeah. yeah like we see that as a huge potential risk to our open medium where you can say anything and not get deplatformed even at the risk of making a fool of yourself or offending others There's kind of two ways that we actually like address that lack of flattening. The first way is by making it very clear what's the difference between brand safety and brand suitability. Um, And the second way is by showing the great variety of content that gets monetized. Mm. So I think as a society, we could agree that we maybe want to limit the content that is not brand safe. That is at least platformed. Uh, I don't really like even as a person against censorship, I don't have a lot of objections to that um, because I think it's similar to like being against crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, within brand suitability, I think that's kind of where we get into the second one. We have we have data on like thousands and thousands of shows and we could show like these are all the top podcasts that are being monetized today. And look, they have risk. They have content that is in these categories. And it yes, it's there. And I think demystifying that a little bit and just bringing the transparent data that helps advertisers see what's actually in the content. I think that's how we help creators feel more confident in that they don't need to change to get a certain advertiser's dollars. There's thousands of advertisers and their content could be perfect Hmm. for one of them, some of them, not all of them and that's okay. We don't say like this inventory is brand safe or not. Frankly that would be like not really accurate right because a lot of it is safe and we're now in the space of suitability but I feel like that also gives creators back some power in terms of um, kind of thinking about what they're creating and making sure that it's still authentic to them.
1: Yeah. Tamara, thank you so much. i really enjoyed this conversation. I was really nervous that I wouldn't understand a word and you just made it really accessible. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was such a
3: pleasure to meet you both. And yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much to Tamara Zabati. That was such an interesting, engaging conversation about genuinely something that I was terrified I'd know nothing about. And I didn't, but now I feel really quite enlightened. And it was kind of doing that thing where it was sparking a million different questions in my head as well. And one thing that I did quite want to pick up on was about how how does Barometer or how do, do all of these schematics deal with the different values of different countries because I was even talking to Mike last night about a swearing on podcasts and he says that he gets a lot of complaints about swearing on his evolution of horror podcast and I was really surprised about that from Brits because I just oh, thought wow. I, I just thought we took it as red that we just swear a lot I was expecting it to have come from the US, where obviously swearing is perhaps a little bit more controlled. And also because we were talking specifically about Arabic and the different dialects in Arabic, which I thought was really interesting, Reem. Um, But we didn't really kind of touch on values in different countries and continents. So how do you think that this will tackle all of those?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think in the Middle East, for example, they consider a lot more things taboo that might not be considered taboo here. Mm-hmm. So I think advertisers need to be careful about approaching these type of podcasts when they're trying to reach global audiences. The culture is very different. So barometer did say that they're um working across different languages which is currently in in beta mode and tamar said about working in those different countries in different languages and making sure to have um freelancers there that are working with with them on the technology because they know what the language is like and what the different dialects are like and what what different things work for their culture that might not work here. And I think it's so important to have that human aspect when you're creating this type of technology, because as g- great as AI is, and as uh, adaptable as AI is, you still need to have someone doing some of the, the manual labor to just make sure that you know those things make sense and that you're reaching the right audiences, especially when you can't do it
1: on your own. Yes, the, the initial programming right, needs to be done mm. by the right people. You know how um, Tamara was talking about the the different grading systems, so no risk, mm. low, medium, and high for all these different areas. Do you think that is just going to make advertisers more wary because they're only going to go for the no risk or low risk rather than the medium or high?
0: I think it depends on how you delineate those categories because they're based on the uh, GOM categorization system which is across all forms of media online video print everything 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 and for podcasts i i'm gonna make a wild assumption and say that a pretty chunky majority are going to fall into the low and no risk categories by default you know maybe with stuff that is more based around for example sex and relationships uh, you might start to veer into more of the sort of moderate risk categories uh, but i i would i think that those rankings would be fairly common sense in terms of the kind of subject matter and the way you're discussing something you know if a podcast is maybe a bit more risque or a bit edgier in terms of how it approaches topics that's probably going to be more risky for advertisers, but ultimately, you know, as long as things aren't getting, you know, miscategorized and uh, misinterpreted by a system that isn't kind of fully appreciating context, the kind of categorization in terms of risk level should theoretically be fairly straightforward and, and intuitive.
1: And Reem, do you think that this is obviously one of the aims for Barometer about trying to be more open, more representative, to make sure that non-white content creators aren't left out of pocket by slang terms, etc. Are you kind of hopeful that this will work, that we will see like a real uptick in advertisers on their, on these podcasts?
2: So... I think there needs to be a lot of education done for advertisers on what is brand safe and why it's important to be using um, contextually relevant brand safety and suitability tools instead of keyword safety tools because you'll have demographics that are getting demonetized uh, purely off of just keywords that are on there. And and one thing that you also talked about was um, um, Gen Z slang um, mm. and how a, a lot of Gen Z slang like um, like unalived, for example, mm. um, can either lead to demonetization or not even be picked up because it's not read yet as something that's brand um, unsuitable. Well, that's but- the
0: thing. Language is a constantly moving target. Mm. And if you build a, a keyword-based block list for advertising in, what, five years tops, there's probably a good chunk of that that's going to be out of day.
1: So I think one of the primary concerns having talked to Tamara was thinking about do we need to be really careful about what we say on our podcast if we want to monetize them and does that is that going to end up making it all more kind of bland and one note I don't know Adam
0: for me I think my advice is always to focus on creating the content that you want to create and that resonates with you if you try and optimize your your content and your language to get around things like you know block lists and you know brand safety solutions and whatnot. you're going to tie yourself in knots and the benefit is going to be marginal at best. I mean, let's remember we are primarily talking about programmatic advertising here, which for the vast majority of creators actually isn't that much of a significant revenue stream. And for those where it is, they're probably already, you know, extremely brand safe just by nature. So I think it's easy to to get too fixated on things like this when the practical benefit to kind of managing your content and sort of self-censoring effectively to fit with these algorithmic solutions, the benefit probably isn't worth it
2: i completely agree with you and i think there's more than one way to monetize your content if you are going to be saying stuff that you think is going to lead you to get demonetized um, then there's always things like subscriptions You can always create your own monetization model and you don't have to rely on advertisers. Um, And also I think there's a positive future in programmatic advertising because of places like Barometer and because of ones like Sounder that are using AI tools that are constantly improving and taking in the context and the tone and not just the keywords. And they're making it more possible for more creators to be monetized and no longer get blocked by those keywords. So even then there's, there's, if you are going to rely on programmatic advertising, I think it is going to keep getting better and keep working with your content.
1: Thank you so much, both. Reem, Adam, we'll see you next week. And also next week, we're going to be delving even further into the world of advertising. So if you're still not sure how to monetize your podcast, if you're doing it in the best way, please don't miss next week's episode. Thanks again to Tamara Zabati. And remember, we always want to hear from you. Please drop us a line on socials at podpod Pod official, email us at editor at podpod.com. Or of course, for all your latest podcast news, go to podpod.com. The podcast is produced by Ollie Peart for Haymarket Business Media, and I'm your host, Rihanna Dillon. See you next time. Bye.